Hi there. This is Peter Agostin, and welcome to my weekly podcast, The House List. We're going to do something kind of special for this episode, episode 26, in that uh, there's no one singular guest for this week's episode. In fact, I'm going to do something kind of new and different, but I've been wanting to try this for, for quite a while. You know, as I've been doing these and gaining some momentum and and people have been checking them out, subscribing, which I really appreciate genuinely. Thank you for tuning in. And, uh, but I have been getting some feedback and the, you know, both from listeners and sometimes even the people that whom I've recorded conversations with in that, uh, usually the thing that is said is that these are too long. Oh, these are way too long. Uh, no one's going to listen to these. They're too long. This is simply too long. So uh, I was like, okay, well, let me think of a way to, you know, combat that uh, or attempt to do something a little shorter, a little more condensed. I understand that people, everyone has a different um, amount of time in their day. Uh, I think, I'd like to think that the listenership of this podcast is is a pretty big range of, of folks. You know, I work from home. Uh, I'm, I'm busy. I'm always working nonstop. It seems like, but I have found, you know, a certain routine that, uh, that I like, you know, listening to, to, to podcasts. I I've listened to a lot of other ones too. So I kind of have time. I make it work into my day, but I definitely understand that a lot of people can't really do that, nor is it really like in their wheelhouse to try. You know, I, I love talk radio and I started in radio uh, many years ago in the mid, almost the early 90s, in the mid 90s, 94, definitely by 95. So it's just a medium that I I like, you know, regardless of length. So nevertheless, I wanted to do something a little on the shorter side with some clips, uh, some highlights and some little bits that I pulled out from previous shows, as well as some stuff that uh, I've never shared before, little clips and, and little things like that, you know, and do a traditional clip show, you know, uh, and then come back next week with brand new episodes with brand new guests. And I have a lot lined up. It's, it's you know, and everyone's schedule is, is totally crazy. So it's funny kind of how these things pan out at, at one moment. I'm looking at a, a three or four I have to do uh, all within a matter of a day or two, and then all of them somehow fall uh, through, and then I have nothing. So, but I told myself I would I would I wouldn't miss any weeks. Um, my goal with this is just to simply put one up a week, and whatever that might be, it's going to be, and uh, that's the way I want to be disciplined with this particular project, because uh, consistency is everything in my opinion, as far as from booking shows as a booking agent for the artists that I've managed and consulted, you know, just consistency goes a long way. But anyway, yes, I know the episodes are too long for you. I'm sorry. I apologize for anyone that uh, is having a hard time dealing with the length of some of these, but that's kind of why I love them so much. In fact, I wanted to do some episodes that were just like one minute long or two minutes long. And then maybe the uh, the following week, it would be a six hour episode. You know, I don't really, um, have any rules and there's no one to really answer to, which makes it, uh, particularly that much more rewarding and fulfilling for me. So 
I'm going to get into some of these clips. I'm going to, uh, some of them, I think I'm going to intro, give you a little bit of backstory and a couple will be pulled from our previous 25 episodes. So if this is your first time listening, or if you're just stumbling across it right now, or because this is kind of on the shorter side that you can make time for this particular one, then hopefully this will inspire you to listen to some of the previous episodes. Uh, if you're just listening to this now on iTunes, thank you. Please subscribe if you can. I appreciate that. Um, it's also on SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com backslash the houseless podcast. So if you only listen to it on a, on a computer, a desktop or a laptop or whatever, you can do it that way. There is a SoundCloud app though. And of course it's on the Stitcher app. I know a lot of folks only listen to podcasts that way. So you can check it that way and Google play myself. I can't figure out how to get it on Google play. I know it's on there. Um, I just don't, you know, I only know how to do so much. Uh, so anyway, with that being said, Let's see what we're going to get into first here. Well, it's going to be two things sort of back to back. I think that's the easiest way to do this one because the first one is like a couple of seconds long. It's Mixmaster Mike did a little, this is just him doing a little drop for me. In the, in the era of DJ drops, when you would be like, hey, man, can you do a drop from a mixtape or my radio show or whatever? We had done an interview. I uh, interviewed him for something I cannot even remember because it was from, this is from 1998. So, if memory serves me right, I think it was for a rap sheet, which was the newsprint hip hop magazine. It was a, a weekly or monthly. It was monthly. I'm pretty sure that's what it was for. I cannot remember uh, if or where it was published, but I do remember I recorded it in the backstage or in the basement of the Roseland Theater in Portland, Oregon, 1998. Mixmaster Mike was doing a big headline club show. Uh, but it was at the height of his time touring for uh, backing the Beastie Boys. I, I thought this was kind of appropriate, too, because I, I saw a few days ago or last week that uh, that Mixmaster Mike will be joining Metallica on tour this summer. And as like the opening house DJ, so at, at doors, uh, I guess these are all like arenas or stadiums amphitheaters or what have you and then in between acts too so that should be totally interesting it'd be amazing to interview him after that and uh, maybe i should try to figure out a way to do that that would be amazing get his take on it but yeah this little clip was just just something uh where we had just ended an interview and i was asking him about stuff I, he had just done a record too and um and they were like and it was him and his man i can't remember who he was he must have been a tour manager or his manager at the time and they were just you could tell they were on fire as far as like doing club dates headlining stuff and then constantly doing after shows for the bc boys so it was, it was interesting and it was exciting and i was still pretty new to portland I, I only lived there really for a little under three years but i became very immersed in filming and interviewing people and this was like one of the first uh, cats that i talked to but I did a lot of interviews during that time because I was trying to make a documentary, which I never uh, released, but I definitely got got pretty close. And then this that's going to go straight into a little clip of me and Jerry Heller uh, talking, which was recorded in 2006 for a, a feature I wrote about him in Reup Magazine. Um, 
that was in connection to his autobiography that he wrote called Ruthless, a memoir. Uh, we did a really extensive phone interview. And then when the magazine came out, I went to Los Angeles and traveled to his home in the gated community of Calabasas, California. And I was uh, a guest in his in his home and Jerry Heller. Jerry Heller, for people that don't uh, automatically register who that is, was the you know manager of uh, uh, of NWA and Easy E primarily, and basically the CEO of Ruthless Records, and was obviously very instrumental in Straight Outta Compton, but also Above the Law, the DOC, JJ Fad. So um, it was an awesome conversation. I thought he was very um, giving and considerate. Uh, and yeah, I went to his house with Jessica Miller at the time, who was the uh, the whole crew from the magazine was in Los Angeles to support. Uh, it was like a magazine release party. So we, we drove out there really quick to give him a copy of the magazine. And I sat on his couch and he had a, a stack of Ruthless Record 12 inches inexplicably laid across the coffee table. I'm trying to remember. I didn't write any of this down. So I'm just uh, remembering. And we had this great conversation. And uh, I I regret to this very day not inquiring about those records, not asking him, hey, what's up? Are you trying to get rid of those? Like, I mean, can I hold those? Can I flip through them at least? Like, I, I almost think that he set them out there for me to, to do that. And I was trying to be polite. So I didn't really, uh, you know press the issue which I regret to this day because who knows what was in that stack but it was just like on the coffee table I mean this is a an older guy I don't think he was like preparing for a DJ gig uh, but I do remember he had a couple of, of aging pit bulls in the living room and then when we when we when we left and we drove out uh, exiting Calabasas we drove by Dr. Dre's house and he had a huge, uh, or at least what I recall being Dre's house. He had a huge chronic leaf, uh, painted on the, uh, driveway or something like that. I don't know if, if anyone's been to his house at that time in the mid two thousands, I'm, I'm sure he's probably moved. So then, then possibly you can verify that, but this is a little clip of us talking. So without any further ado, thank you guys so much. Let's check out. I'm going to kick off the clip show with this. Then we're going to run into a bunch of other little stuff after that. Thanks so much. Yo, what's up? This is Mixmaster Mike, Invisible Scratch Pickles, and you're tuned in to Thanksgiving Brown and Culturama. Peep it. So for you, though, like in general terms, like you've worked through so many different genres of music um, without any kind of discrimination. I mean, it, it's how, how do you, like for you, is it, is it, um, you know, obviously you're a, you know, a very successful businessman. So um, was it like the, did you see the value in, in something like uh, moving, kind of moving along with the times and just, you know, practicing the same model um, in, just different genres was that kind of your approach towards it or was it how am i off base there i think if you look at the bigger picture and just i think we have to say that for whatever reason i've been at the forefront of every major musical movement 
since since the mid '60s. So obviously, whether since I'm not a musician myself, yeah, whether it's by luck or instinct or whatever, there are certain people like Clive Davis, like David Geffen, like Bob Krasnow, <clears throat> like Bill Graham, who have been at the forefront of, of those movements all for different reasons mm-hmm. and um, different points of view and different uh, musical strengths uh, have stayed at the, at the top of our game for five decades. So I think that if you look at it from the overall perspective, that for whatever reason, you know, I've been at the forefront of those of those movements, and I think of of all those movements up until 1987, the most important thing that I ever was ever involved with was rock and roll. Yeah, and obviously the groups that that I was involved with, like Pink Floyd and Elton John and Journey and Styx and Ario Speedwagon and. Uh, Van Morrison and mm-hmm. Marvin Gaye and the Four Tops, and Martha and the Mandelas and uh, Boss Skaggs, <clears throat> and I did the Crosby Nash Acoustic Tour mm-hmm. and Journey and uh, all those people that I was involved with in rock and roll. If if I wouldn't have become involved with gangster rap and NWA, I think uh, in 1987 actually in 1985, but then culminating in that period of 87 through 95, uh, but specifically 87 through 91, I think that was certainly the most important period of my musical career from the day I met uh, Eric Wright. Mm. That was a whole new chapter in that career from that point on. Right. I think it totally changed the music business. Mm -hmm. And I think that the model, although when we did it, there was no such thing as a, a business model or a brand. Yeah. But I think that the business model that we practiced then and the model that uh, and the brand that we established then has set the stage for all the successful groups up till today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that nowadays people are getting away from that model and concentrating more on branding than they are the music. Sure. So I think that uh, once again we're at a a period that is much like rock and roll became after Sgt. Pepper where uh, big corporations start start chasing the almighty dollar and the dollar becomes more important and being involved with music that you love and respect. Mm. Yes, that clip with Jerry, Mr. Jerry Heller, the one and only. Um, wow, that was such a, it was cool. It was very cool. He was actually a very, very cool guy. And, you know, this was 2006. I mean, as the conversation went on, he had even told me about uh, this movie. And we talked at length about what would eventually become the straight out of Compton film that came out last year and uh, how uh, Bruce Willis was lined up to play him. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, ultimately, you know, not only did it take a much longer 
than perhaps he suspected for it to come out, but it, it obviously changed hands a lot. And there's a whole story with how that movie was made. And I guess Jamie Kennedy also has uh, 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 acted in a film portraying Jerry Heller. Um, and, you know, say what you will about him. I, I had a great time uh, talking to him. He was very generous and cool. So um, now we're going to break into a segment where uh, we're going to play some clips back to back to back from uh, previous episodes of the podcast. So you can go back. This would be a good time to subscribe too if you haven't already. And and see, I'm going to do five kind of uh, little clips. A couple minutes here, a couple minutes there. Uh, with no breaks in between. So that you'll kind of get a, a good read on it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it'll be uh, Fiona Bloom will be our first one. Uh, she was on episode uh, four, one of the earliest ones, and and for a long time the most listened episode until I did uh, the Dame Funk episode, which will follow and um, precede that. He was at uh, episode twenty-two. A great conversation. I definitely recommend going back and listening to both of them. Uh, to follow that is my man Billy Jam, who tells this incredible story about Master P and um, working with Master P back when he lived in the bay you know many may not really realize this in the very early years of uh the real untouchables uh masterpiece original group that he would he was working out of the bay area and then kind of adopted and co-opted a lot of the uh diy underground hip-hop gangster rap aesthetic uh, uh and work ethic if you will and sort of packaging ethic of, of releasing material and then imported that over to New Orleans. So that was a really cool story. We recorded that at WFMU in Jersey City, New Jersey. That was from episode 15 with Billy Jam. And then uh, Michelle Cable, my old friend and I from Panache Booking, have a great little chat. We talk a little bit about Blowfly, her experience working with uh, Clarence Reed, a.k.a. Blowfly. And then I close it out from a chat that I had with Just Ice, the original gangster rap that we did in the Bronx at his crib from episode three, um, where we uh, go through uh, this flight case box of records, 45s, all Yardy tunes, uh, uh, dub plates, basically. But uh, I mean, yeah, you know, roots and dub music not necessarily dub plates because they're 45s or seven inches uh and he is an incredible dj most people don't know that so if you ever have the opportunity to see him he, he does spin in new york city uh, a few times a year so we we have a quick chat and in, in that and it's it's, it's cool it's very i like the way that was because there was some more atmospheric sound it wasn't just like a one-on-one -on -one interview so yeah, check out that little block. It's like five little clips from episodes previous. So give you a little good uh, a taste of, of some of the stuff that we've been doing up to this point. Uh, especially for people that don't have the time to sit and listen to a full length interview. This might whet your appetite and then go back and check these out. You know, I gave you the episode numbers. You'll peep them out and then I'll come back with one more little clip, uh, an outro after these uh, um, segments run. All right, thanks. Check this out. Working at Crystalis, I mean, uh, was it that you had any... I got gangstar. That's what I was about to ask. I was one of the marketing ask, people yeah. for hard to earn. Oh, my God. And I got to be so friendly with 
Keith Guru, rest in peace. Amazing. You know, I mean, really, we had a great rapport. I was also responsible for John Cicada, some of the marketing, Diggable Planets. Yeah. Because we also had Pendulum. That's so I right. Did the marketing for so Pendulum. So that was also like Soul Lords Sonics, of the Underground, Lords I think. Lords of the too. Underground, exactly. Yeah. But obviously, Gangstar was the, you know, the, the crown Mass jewel. Appeal, baby. Wow. I remember to this day hearing Mass Appeal for the first time in our large conference room wow. with all the big suit and ties and. You know, the head nodding people that were in the hip hop urban department, and me included, right. and in the suit and ties, not knowing what to do or trying to be like, is this a hit? Is it a hit? What does it mean? What <laughs> is this mass appeal? And trying to bop their head, but completely off time. Right. It was a great, I still had that visual vividly in my mind. Yeah. I remember those Christmases and those times, and when I would get like Kiss albums for Christmas, and my parents would like laugh at me, you know what I'm saying? But they knew that I really liked Kiss. And that's what you, know you know what wanted. <laughs> you, you, yeah. you asked for them? Yeah, I asked for Kiss records because I saw them in the TV guy, and I loved <laughs> like, you know, the album covers, right. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I never forget, they were so sweet though because I love my mom my dad and my aunts because they were living the American dream and I think that the American dream gets lost in everything that we're dealing with right now there was an American dream man right you know what I'm saying and the American dream was a black kid like myself living in Pasadena in 1979 being able to look in a TV guy that was paid for with a subscription that right. arrived in the mailbox Right. As a TV guy, and I would look in the mailbox and the TV guy, and that TV guy, it would be a Columbia House um, uh, ad, and it would have albums that you can order for one penny. <laughs> and right. when I looked at the record covers, I looked at Rush, Kiss, you know, um, different label, different groups, and they, they, and I, they, I put in a penny in my envelope, and I, I sent off for those, and those records arrived in the and mail. They came back. Yeah, wow. they arrived in the mail. Did you, um, did you know or encounter Master P at that time? Because he had the real Untouchables. True, I, I did all of Master P's bios. Nice. What and was that like? What was he like? Because this is he, his his beginning of his career was in the Bay Area. Exactly. Right? So he's from Louisiana. He moved to the Bay Area to the East Bay to the city of Richmond, California, which is a pretty tough, sprawling uh, area. And he was there, and then he had his la his label uh, downtown Oakland, over by the, the lake, and uh, No Limit it was called. So he started out, and then he uh, sort of um, well, first there was Herm Lewis, who I also knew and, and worked with. Uh, he got out of jail, and he put out his compilation, which was as uh, trying to survive in the ghetto, mm -hmm. a San Francisco compilation. Uh, by and that was in '93. So who was on that? So that was Rappin' Forte. RBL Posse, JT, the bigger figure, and all of these other great artists from San Francisco. So that sort of took off, and that really deserves a lot of credit because in different markets, like in Detroit, uh, in uh, different places like Kansas, different places across the country, they would get these the, the, those CDs. They started listening to them. And interestingly, when you go back and you listen to early 90s music from a lot of places around the country, you're like, wow, that sounds kind of like... Uh, Bay Area stuff. And part of the reason is that people, you know, usually they listen to something and then a year later they do their record and it sounds like what they've been listening sure. to. And uh, that was part of the reason. In the case of Master P, well, you know, Master P, uh, I really greatly admire him primarily as a businessman and a very shrewd, savvy guy and very hardworking. So I knew him from early on. I'm even in one of his videos too. What? When, really? when they gone. <laughs> Generally, I'm the white guy in the video. <laughs> And it's funny, like with the master, with the Mac Trey, when I was looking at it on online recently, like someone's like, 
you know, like how how people are with comments on right. YouTube, like who the hell is that white boy? <laughs> and I was laughing. That's Billy really Jam. <clears throat> but but yeah, but it, Master P, I was in uh, his too, and uh, but I would do like all of the different things. But what I admired about him, so we worked closely together, and I would sort of give him little tips on things that I would see that sort of just you know suggestions. But he would get up early in the morning and work his ass off, and he really worked hard. His brother Kevin Miller had been killed, and he kind of took that mm. as an inspiration. And he would sort of go in like KML Radio. I forget if it was Monday morning or Tuesday. They'd have their like meetings where they'd take presentations from local artists, independent artists with the music. And he just hustled and hustled and just tried everything. Mm. So he'd stop by my house and he might be have some of the guys with him. Um, is some who are relatives like Silk the Shocker, no uh, King George, different people. They do it, and but they would work really hard. And he, they must have been like teenagers at that time, right? They were young guys. Right? I guess they were, yeah, because this was like back in the early nineties. Uh, and then like he, he, he saw how Herm Lewis did this thing with the compilation, so he kind of took that, and so did D Shot, D Shot with the Boss Balling compilation, and they realized like, wow. And again, this is when people actually bought music. Nowadays, Billboard album charts. Someone could have a number one album, and maybe if it's Lady Gaga, uh, it might sell two million copies, but it could even be a number one Billboard album, you know, top seller of the week, and it may only sell 45,000 right. for the whole country. Right. So back then, you have these guys, and they were selling, like D-Shot, I think it was like 100,000 or something. And mm. so then West Coast Bad Boys was the one that uh, Master P did, and he put it together. And did the whole thing. And then uh, Dwayne, actually Dwayne Terry, who did Tired of Me. E-40 is another guy that I was very, you know, very supportive of early on. And right. people are like, oh, man, he's whack. You know, it's like rapping too fast. He's, he can't really rap. He's people not slept on him so hard yeah. in the early days. Yeah. But anyway. The, but, the whole click. Yeah. I mean, the click was, there's a lot of talent there, but we can talk about that. Right. Stage. But anyway, this guy, Dwayne Terry, who is a really talented guy, video producer, does radio. He's down in uh, Florida now. And uh, he was upstate New York. But anyway, he started doing like all these different videos. So he did like uh, those ones. He also did the Master P. He did that. Tardy Bean Stepped On. He did uh, many other ones for Sick With It. And then he also did that Master P, the big, uh, the, the one where there was all of them. I forget what it's called. But it's from that compilation where everybody was on it. Right. And uh, so Master P did that. And then at the same time, he kind of relocated back to New Orleans. And then, you know, tapped into everything. And sort of like at Young Bleed, like people from there and from all over, like uh, Texas and, and New Orleans. He was like, you know, a lot of people would diss him, you know, like he kind of copied the Looney's ice cream and like, he took different things and he would copy. But really, he was more like sort of like a puff daddy in a way that he was just shrewd and he knew what to take. Like oh, absolutely. He was more of a smart businessman. He was kind of a genius, honestly. Exactly. Like. And I give him, you know, major uh, props for, for all of the things that he did. So he kind of took that and then took it down south and basically took the Bay Area model mm -hmm. the blueprint and then kind of you know perfected it mostly like player performing as blowfly and his, his career kind of been re revitalized by his manager at the time and i i believe i interviewed him in panache it was like nine mm. it was nine years ago that's how i met him i interviewed him and put him on the cover and it was when it was the first issue that came out in new york and no, actually no this was this, that i'm remembering incorrectly so I interviewed him 11 years ago, and it was the last issue that came out in San Francisco, and I put him on the cover, and I remember interviewing him and running out of tape because I did a two-hour interview with him. Right, right. Very, nice. similar, very similar to our interview. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, Clarence Blowfly, he, I remember him singing raps to me about, you know, my genitals and and Whoa. other perverse things you know he would he he would just 
he would rap dirty about me for like 20 minutes in an interview. <laughs> I need to find this tape. But, right. you know, and he was a very, very, very sweet man who had so many amazing stories about he was cool right like you guys were uh, yeah we, friends, we so. like kind of fell in love with each other and he was so charming i think at this point he was like in his 60s when we were talking but i um did this interview put him on the cover of of panache and then his manager kind of hit me up and was like hey you know we need a booking agent would you want to do it and i ended up working with 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 blowfly and his manager tom for the next like six or yeah six or seven years um, which led to a lot of other interest, or there's other interesting things around that too. But, you know, and Blowfly, he toured, I mean, I, I booked him all over North America, but he, he did tour the world at that time. And, and unfortunately, Clarence passed away. Yeah. Um, recently in the last like year. And, right, right. And, you know, it, it was very sad because he was, he was just one of these people that had such a generous heart and soul, but also, is a very classic story of somebody who had made a lot of desperate decisions in the earlier part of his career and ended up later on in his life not being able to really take care of himself. You know, he sold a lot of the rights to most of his original songs to or to other people for various reasons because he needed money. And if he had held on to those, you know, like that, those, the masters and the ownership rights, he'd he'd be he would have been in a much better place but you know right. like and, and and that's true for a lot of different musicians in the past but it you know it was it was one of those things where i was trying to really help him get his career restarted and it was such a special time to be part of the last decade of his life right i had the tune too that little box right there look at the see that little box at right. the bottom that box at the bottom yeah. that's a dangerous fucking box that's it is filled up it's 45 let me show you something. i wish you had a video that little box is dangerous. Yeah, because I don't think a lot of people really know that side of your career, too. No, that they, they don't understand what you right. that stuff. They don't understand. This is where it starts. See, these kind of tunes. So we're opening like a, a flight case. We're opening up. My danger. This is my little. This is what I call my little kitty box. It's very dangerous for everybody else who I play with because they don't want to play with me after I play these. But to me, this is just my warm up box, my danger box. Wow. It's my danger box. So three tight rows, forty fives. I can show you a record by Sam Cooke that was made in Jamaica. Amazing. Where is it? And this is all this is yard all, music, all right? All Jamaican. So were you playing? Were you playing this out too? At, yeah, I got to play on my birthday, November fifteenth. I play with Deadly Dragon. Oh, very cool. All right, cool. What the fuck is that tune? See, a lot of um, people don't understand that hip hop actually comes from this music. See, oh, oh, check this out. This is David Russian. Russian. Right. I wish it would rain on a Studio One. Amazing, yeah. That's Studio One, right? So, and this is not the same Temptation shit. This is this is Studio One, meaning probably the sound dimensions backed him up with the music. Ha, Sam Cooke. Here it is. This is Sam Cooke singing my teenage Sonata. I'll play teenage Mm. Sonata for you too, so you can hear what it sounds like. Very clean too. Oh hell yeah! I take care of my records, man. 
Nobody touches my records but me. Right. Nobody. And I wash my records like I wash my dishes. Really? Yes, I do. I get soap and a rag and a cold water and I wash them. I put really? Them on a, okay. I put them on a plate. Motherfucker, <laughs> for me, she be thinking I'm crazy. She's like, yo, you have you treat your records like you eating dinner. I'm like, yeah. I've always wondered about that. I have a lot of records too. I've never washed them like the no, soap and water man. style. That's it. Soap, mild soap, cold water because the hot water will bend the vinyl. Right. You know? Incredible. So this was really first, I mean, like, for you, right? Which, uh, yeah, well, well, no. I started rhyming first. No, I started listening. Well, I always listen to y'all music. Right, you know? right. But I always started. And my man, Glenn, man, my man, Glenn, man, that's my man. He wrote my first rhyme for me. Son of a bitch, take my fucking $3 allowance for it. Yeah, what's the story with that? Because that, that is definitely something I, I discovered just recently, too. So you, Glenn, you bought your first rhyme for $3? Yeah, I my first rhyme for $3. And he, first of all, motherfucker, gonna ask me, Glenn, at that time, Glenn had to be 13 or 12. I had to be like about maybe 9 or 10. Okay. And we, and I was, I did Glenn was like, I'll let you a rhyme. Because I'm hearing everybody rhyming and shit. Right. I didn't want no shit like dip, dip, dive and so socialized, clean out your ears and open your eyes. I didn't want that right. shit. Glenn was like, yo, I'll write you a rhyme. Because at that time, my name wasn't Just Ice. It was Kid Tio. Okay. Interesting. It right. was Kid Tio, like Kid Creole. Right, right, right. But my name is Kid T.O. because back then my nickname was T.O., T.E.O. Got you. And he was like, I'll write a rhyme for you. I was like, fine. He was like, how much money you got? <laughs> I said, Glenn, I got $3. I just got my allowance, man. And at that time, $3 was a lot. Pizza was like 50, 75. A slice of pizza was 50 cents and a Sicilian was 75 cents. So yeah, three dollars, you can stretch that. Life. You go to Nathan's with three dollars back in them days. You get a burger, fries, and fucking drink and change. Wow. I've done it. Wow. And Jack in the Box was right there on White Plains Road. <laughs> he robbed me, yo. <laughs> he said, "How much you got?" I said, three dollars." I just got my allowance. He said, "The rhyme will cost you three dollars." <laughs> wow. Everything. I was like, "Glenn, seriously?" He said, "You want the rhyme?" He's like, "Yeah, give me the three dollars." I gave him the fucking three dollars. Hey, yo, Peter, no bullshit. I called Glenn, and this was. Years ago, it's more than thirty years ago. Wow. I called Glenn like about last year. Do you know that nigga spit that rhyme to me? I don't even remember wow. that shit. He's like, I bet you remember the first rhyme I wrote. You. I was like, no. He was like, and I was like, holy <laughs> shit, you remember that shit? <laughs> yeah, well, probably through your career. Here's the like, funny thing. I said, can you write it and text it to me? He said, you got three dollars. <laughs> oh, I was like, Glenn, are you fucking serious? Wow. He was like, you give me three dollars, I will give you back this rhyme. <laughs> Right. I was like, fuck you and the $3, Glenn. <laughs> How about that? How about those? You like those? Uh, that's what I thought. I, I uh, hope you liked them. And you know I appreciate you guys listening. Especially if this is like your first time checking out the house list. You know, this is a labor of love. I know I say that from episode to episode. But you can tell with the people I'm talking to. These are mostly people that I know very well. And that's kind of nice as far as like starting this whole adventure of doing the producing the podcast and uh you know also want to let you know that all of these can you hear i'm walking around my apartment right now see this is how it is like there's no studio i'm not sitting down uh i do have headphones on got these uh marley joints shouts to marley um and i'm doing these uh a house of marley rather and my man josh lynn and I do these, the intros and the interviews are all done on this handheld Tascam mic. So it is a little on the DIY side, but I think we pull it off 
with my man CJ Stewart out in California who does the editing and engineering, hooks it up. We go back and forth. It's it's pretty hilarious. Uh, the The way we do it is all very shoestring, but him and I have known each other for a long, long time, and uh, we've done a lot of music together, recorded many albums together, uh, and done shows, and he's just like one of my best friends too. So doing this with him is a treat as well. So, um, yeah, so I just want to let you all know that. And uh, so I'm going to close this particular episode out with two more little clips. One, you know, I kind of was thinking whether or not I should put this up, but I just found it to be too um, unique not to. And this was uh, a couple minutes of a conversation I had and recorded with uh, a taxi driver here in New York City late one night coming back from Manhattan into Brooklyn. It was a yellow cab. Uh, and the guy was like a uh, young, young man, probably in his 20s, late 20s, that was into hip-hop. He was a producer. He made beats. He was a hip-hop head, a hip-hop fan. And he immediately started telling me about it. He didn't know me. He did not know anything about me. And uh, I was immediately taken one because he was like no other yellow taxi uh, cab car driver I had ever uh, been in. They're very rare do you find someone that's under, you know, 50. And this guy must have been, you know, 30 if that. And he... Uh, was just telling me his story and I captured it and we're gonna play a little clip of it it was just something I captured on my phone in the moment it was too unique not to document and uh, you know there's something about me and cab drivers where we end up almost always having these long detailed conversations about their lives and this was this if the ride was any longer i know it would have gone in all types of directions too so i'm gonna play this little clip it's just like a minute and then to follow that um i'm gonna close out the show in its entirety with um this is a radio snippet from california from when i was in college uh wrapping up i think it was the year i graduated um it took me a while to graduate because I was doing a whole lot of other stuff, not necessarily completely focusing on school. So this was from 2003 uh, at Humboldt State University, which is located in Arcata, California, with a close friend of mine, an artist whom I toured with. I was his DJ for, for some years, um, Z-Man from San Francisco, a native of San Francisco, who at the time had just released an album on the hieroglyphics-affiliated kind of sub-label called Refill Records. Uh, uh, his Basically his debut album called Doper Dog Food. And Z would come up to Humboldt uh, often. I, I was the main hip-hop promoter in town for, for some years. And we did a bunch of shows together up there. That is for sure. And he must have been up for a few because I, I mentioned a couple in, in the, this little clip. And... Yeah, we're just kind of riffing, and then he starts rhyming, and yeah, I figured this would be a good way to close the show, because it's just off the cuff, 
and living up there. And, you know, I'm, I was a young guy. I'm, honestly, I was probably stoned when, when we were doing this, but uh, we were, it was just loose and we were having a good time. And I figured this would be a fun way to, to close it out. This is me and Z-Man uh, with assist by my friend Andrew, whose show that was, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, on KRFH, which is 105.1 FM in Arcata, California. You can actually find them on the net at krfh.net. That's Humboldt State University's uh, free student-run radio. So, yeah, let's check these two little things out and call that the first uh, clip show of this series. Hopefully we'll do some more. I, I love uh, cobbling together some of the old random stuff from the past with with some of the highlights of previous episodes. Just a way to kind of do something quick and easy for people who can't commit to a two and a half hour long conversation. You know what I mean? But you have been listening to The House List. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. Each and every one of these episodes is edited and engineered by my man CJ Stewart. want to send a strong shout out to all my people at Humboldt State University. To all my previous guests leading up to this too. Um, We've done 25 episodes up to this point and they've all been great and super fun. And hopefully there's many more to come. So yeah, thank you for riding with us. My name is Peter Agassin. I appreciate your time and spending it with us uh, however you may. All right, y'all. Take care. Peace. Feel it, you know, but like these these trap beats are kind of interesting, but I don't I don't make anything like that, you know. Right. So you sample, you still sample and use records and stuff or what? Uh well, pretty much I just plug my iPhone in if I'm gonna get it look for a sample. Gotcha. I got everything on my iPhone and I just plug it into the into the into the USB mixer and then it'll it'll put out, you know, and they can put put it right to the computer. Hmm. Do you work with vocalists too, or do you have like no, a No, 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 I, I got a microphone, but I haven't I haven't um tried to do any vocals yet. I stopped making beats for a couple years. I did it really hard in 2013 and then I stopped. And I started liking to DJ again. Oh cool. So I started mixing records. And then I picked up Armageddon from Terror Squad. Okay. He was in a cab and he was explaining Serato to me. And, oh. and I was like, oh I still I still haven't gotten Serato. Right. I still play like like vinyl, but I don't have a lot of it, but I, I like the I got about three crates with the vinyl. It's like all hip hop, you know, new new stuff. Cool. Alright. Most of it after 2012. Wow, that is new stuff. Yeah. Cool. Maybe, like when I was buying stuff in, in 14, I was buying stuff from 8, 9, you know, like 7, 2007, 8, 9. So much from 2007, 8, 9, but a lot of it's really new stuff, you know. Right. But I buy albums. I don't buy singles anymore because like a 12-inch vinyl single is like $12 now. Yeah, it's not. It's really weird. Yeah, it used to be 5 Yeah, it used to be $5, $6. Right, right. Four forty-nine in fat beats. Right, right, right. Like in 98, it was 4.49. Yes, it was. Yeah, when I first moved to New York, I actually was working at like uh, one of the first online hip hop retail record stores called Sandbox Automatic. I don't know if you ever remember them or bought yeah, records. Yeah, Bobito put all his stuff on the Sandbox. Yeah. Like he, he directs people when you go to vinylum.com. Right. He redirects you to Sandbox. Yep, yep, yeah. So that's that's why I originally moved up here. I actually worked. I didn't know okay. they were based out of the city, though, but it makes sense. They are. Sense. Yeah, yeah. So Bobby, Bobby, you know, probably took his records over there and just said, yo, here, you know, 
know, it's, it's in your hands now. Whatever you make off it, just give me, you know. Right, right. You know, such amount, you know. Right, yeah, it was. Uh, right, just like cosign everything, you know, consignment, you know. Yeah, I wonder, yeah, if they bought it off of him for wholesale or what, but. Uh, yeah, it was an early, you know... Uh, I, I'm going to just concentrate on being a host. But I want to give it up one time to the, uh, the hop shop. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> With that, um, I, I had a question that yes. always uh, I've been pondering. Um, is what, uh, is the, what differentiates a professional rapper from a non-professional rapper? You being a professional... I'm trying to be professional. That's the whole thing. It's like, um, I don't know. You, you can tell the difference. I mean, we got amateurs, of course, and you have really professional cats. But what's funny is a lot of cats are really professional and they don't know it. You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, it's just, you know, the difference between amateurs trying to get better, you know what I mean, trying to get to that point where he or she is really nice and a professional is pretty much very experienced. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. So, um, who is the most professional rapper you've ever met? Thanksgiving Brown. <sighs> most professional. Uh, <laughs> well, with that, let, why don't we check out another song off the album, the album again? You know who's uh, very professional? Who? Coogee <laughs> uh, Rap is very professional. I'll say that. Did you, have you met Coogee Rap before? Uh, no, but uh, <laughs> with that, everyone, um, once again, the album uh, Doper Darfu on uh, Refill Records, an Oakland based record label distributed by Hieroglyphics. We have Zaman Christian, aka Z Man, in the house. That's Christmas tree, buddy. Christmas tree, Jumped Z. Jumped out the bucket yelling, What's the MMF is OD? The MC, don't home, watch TV, your TV, you watch me drinking coffee while you sipping coffee. F-A-C-D, my tape's in your system like VD, catch me at a party, my hair is like a pedicure, girls are on the jock, but upset that I'm, my eyes are clear, but Mary runs around in the veins, young kids go insane when they hear my veins, the youth is looking for answers, while developing cancer, wanna go to the show, but you gotta buy some tampers with no babysitter, who happens to be your baby sister, part-time stripper, who left you and told you later that we rock the F stage and forgot that Sugar. I think I heard a boo, you better watch that Sugar. Three girls, girls, quacks with blacks and print and scream uh, rock uh, that uh, uh. Straight out the ghetto with a yellow green eye freak Be outnumbered by the chocolate freak Who just deep on the under hitting him with no chase Lighting the weed they call trees When I was younger I would chew the seeds That my mama would leave in a box next to a crutch I wouldn't touch now that I'm older I lace it with uh, dust uh, uh, and bust uh, uh. Nothing but the ill return to the chain snatching Late night romance and rebel and stay handsome. Word Billy on these suburban hillbillies pushing up daffodils and cow lilies. Put on your shades and hide your tears. I got ideas for years. I'm at the school dance trying to find all my peers. Bottles of beer. Yeah, you knew I was saying, but that's that. It's late night. We in your car and you're hearing me rap. It ain't wrong. Like the books under your matches. I got it going uh. on like kids holding the matches. Tell them, really, we rock that ish. Sugar. Hit the effing stage and forgot that ish. Sugar. I think I heard you better watch that sugar. Ish. girls lounge back watch Bob and scream rock that I uh -huh. said we rock that sugar hit the effing stage and forgot that sugar these girls looking like they need that uh-huh yeah yeah you know what time it is you little cockroach eaters word William what's up Brooklyn science how you feeling, feeling? again 
in the house we have Z-Man. Z-Man will also be performing uh, on Friday evening at uh, the all-ages uh, venue in Manila, California called The Placebo in performance with uh, several other bands of varying genres. Word. Not to be confused with Manila like in the, the Philippines. This is Manila, California. Alright? And on Tuesday, April 20th, uh, Z-Man will be performing in Eureka, California with Micah 9 from Freestyle Fellowship, The Chillin' Villain Empire, yeah. and Cypher 7, along with DJ Thanksgiving Brown and Word. DJ Brooklyn Science. It's going to be hot, man, because I'm going to jump on stage and burn it up! At Rumors Lounge in sure Eureka, California, yeah, yeah. tickets are $10 in advance, $15 at the door. Woo! You know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that means.